Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. 855 on the AM band, if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City City limits. Okay, the acres and acres. I've just ridden a bike across acres and acres of tar and cement, and here I am. You've done well. That's right. And how did you get here, Mark? Public transport. I, I got here by tram, so tram. I can't feel as smug as you. Right. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you can. No, that's. I think that's equal smug. No, no. You've you've had Andy, physical you got exercise. Here how, Andy? I walked. Walk. Oh. Yeah. Oh, well, there well, you go. Oh. You both outsmugged me. Oh, that's right. oh. <laughs> I'll have to okay. go and play squash tonight. Now. As yeah, that's right. Yeah. He, he takes the cake, doesn't he? Yeah. That was Andy is pressing the buttons, and Mark and I'm Kevin, and this is City Limits, and it's the fourth Wednesday of the month. Ah, and I realise we've got five in November, so we're going to have to have a... And in fact, we did talk about maybe getting Dr. Oldby's professor these days, Paddy Moriarty, Yes. On. But I realised there was so much to talk to him about, we're going to put that back to one of those fourth or fifth ones next month, and we'll have a long chat to him about a whole lot of things, including his engineering analysis of all the furor over what happened in... Um, in South Australia, I know it's been done to death almost, but there's still all sorts of points of views being put anti-wind, pro-wind, etc. Oh, yes, yes. And we're getting just to give us the engineering analysis of what actually happened, because they say that the 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 wind, um, when the storm really hit, the wind thing just shut down because of all sorts of other dangers, and this was part of the problem, etc. But then others say, well, gas would have done the same thing, or mm. coal. So we'll find out. Anyway. Mm. Sure. So much that, but we've got we have got a guest. We have got a guest. We do. Yes, we have Glenn McCallum, and we'll be talking to Glenn uh, in about fifteen or so minutes' yep. time. And he's from the Protect Fitzroy North Skyline Group. So there's a bit to talk about there. Yes, that's right. Well, it is <laughs> quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, uh, quite. Yes. But it is. Uh, it, we're going to talk about what is pretty controversial development, are we not? And um, it is a controversial yeah. development, and it feeds into and bigger talking, issues. I'll pour some tea. Oh as well, yes, so, okay. I'm, I'm back on the caffeine this week. Right. Yeah, I lapsed. Talking, yeah. I lapsed from my caffeine. Yes, yes, yeah, yes, getting yes, off yes. the caffeine. But yes, <laughs> one cup. But there's yeah, no, there is there is much to, much Thank to talk about. Thank you, Andy. Yes. Doing a great job there. We uh, we also um, there's also been quite a lot in the news, of course, <laughs> about the demolition of a heritage listed pub in Carlton, yes. and that might come up in conversation at some point as well. It and may well. And this morning, in fact, the news is that. Um, the government. I know. Last week they said they'd found asbestos on the site. Yes. And the unions put all sorts of bans on it. That's but right. This morning they found out at um, somewhere in the western suburbs. I think was um, they found uh, the asbestos and rubbish from the site had been dumped out there. So the uh, the owners are in for more trouble. Well, the problem is the owners seem to be so rich that really what they've done is do something hoping to get a development on the site without having to go through all the formal procedures etc it but would it would seem so yes so the penalties need to be and the penalties don't match i think they're probably taking all this into account in terms of their financing well that's right i mean they they, they i read an article saying that by demolishing the pub they literally doubled the value of the site and they they paid several million for the site so even if they get fines of up to a million dollars um they're still up on the deal so we've got to hope that things like the green ban by the, by the um by the unions will will have an impact yeah. and also of course hopefully the council has the power to force them to rebuild at least the facade which will 
minimize the amount of profit oh. they can make from the development. Yeah, because it was oh, was it heritage listed officially? I'm not sure. It, 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 it certainly was. A it had a heritage building. overlay on it, so, so yeah, it didn't yeah. have the highest heritage listing, but it had a heritage overlay on it. Yeah, yeah, because it was a it was a delightful old building. Yeah, it was it was a wonderful um, piece of our yeah um, heritage and our history. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, this morning it's either the union or one of the people opposing it in terms of development is saying that the government should have the power just to take the whole property off them as pun- as punishment for yes. what they've done. And well, that's, 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 the only right. way, that's the only way to really get at them. There needs to be a whole inquiry about development and urban consolidation in Melbourne because, you know, increasing densities and her- having urban consolidation, if it's done well and it's done properly, it can be a good thing. It can help to stop urban sprawl. But if it's done badly, if it's done ad hoc... If it's if there, if there aren't any checks and balances in place, we can end up with really really bad um, outcomes in mm. terms not just socially unsustainable but environmentally unsustainable, and that's what's starting to happen in Melbourne. You know, I read um, yesterday also that in Sunshine there's a a huge drive to uh, for developers to buy up houses and um, gentrify that area through higher density, and it's forcing people in lower incomes out. So, that's right. Yeah. Indeed. The what that what what used to be called the deprived West is now the desired West. Yes, well that's yes. right. So at the expense of people on lower incomes. And mm. Of course, there's never any public housing factored into any of this as well. Oh, for God's sake! And I, I do want to come to that in terms of the minister this week with his speech on housing. Yes, but before we get there, and and the way the government's getting stuck into people at a great rate. Um, I was thinking, though, in terms of this issue with um, George Brandis, and we raised this during the election campaign, that post-election um, um, lying to Parliament would well come up. Mm. Um, and what we've seen this week, of course, is the Solicitor General resigning over the whole thing. But if that had been a, a state Labor minister accused of lying to Parliament, mm. would the Herald Sun have buried it so much... Um, <laughs> Do you think, or would, might, might, have, out, might think. have had everyday Dan's yes. lying minister yeah. or something all over the front page? Um, nonetheless, this week when he did resign, they made front page lead news in the Financial Review and some other papers, but mm. it managed to get back on, I think it was page nine or so in the Herald Sun. Um, page eight, in fact, which of course is a left-hand page where you bury these stories anyway. Yes. Uh, Nation solicitor walks out a single-column, um, few paragraph story. They did have one about Joyce, who also he's had trouble with uh, the bloke who left his department and and, cl- and accused him of an integrity problem because because he got his staff to change Hansard to correct something he'd said. Right. Um, now that's that's also back on page eight. Um, and also, way back in the book was one, although this was one where um, I thought they might have played it a bit more, because um, Christopher Pine, the minister in the cabinet, of course, has attacked Gillian Triggs, saying that she's bringing politics into politics, or he's not putting it that way, but he's saying she should stay out of politics and stick with human rights, because she criticised the government over something, and... Um, how can you separate human rights from politics? Well, good question, but uh, they do because I always find it fascinating, in fact, that politicians whose role is politics, if someone attacks what they do, they say you're bringing politics into it. Mm, exactly, yeah. Everything's um, political. Yes, that's right. Now, I don't know how you cannot bring politics yeah, exactly, into it, yeah. but apparently bringing politics into it is bad unless you're one of them. <laughs> yeah, that's um, right, yeah. I mean, it's good. Yeah. Um, but I do want to say the Herald Sun on page five, a, left, a, a right-hand page up front, had a big picture of this woman in a bikini 
um, and it's Jeff, Jeffrey Edelson's latest love. Now, Jeffrey's one of those wonderful men who's, you know, in his 70s or something, but still every hair on his head is black. It's wonderful, isn't it? No, it's not a grey hair to be seen. Like that um, xenophobe bloke in South Australia. He's... Here's as black as. Oh yes, that's um, right. Yes, um, yes. Now it's got, a, and it's got yes. a picture of his current wife. So it's obvious there's some there's some agency in America that has that 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 um, which deals with these buxomly blonde American women because this is his third in a row. Mm. Um, but he's he said he's just attract women just attracted to him. Mm. Yes, yes. Mm. So that's that. But that 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 was that had that covered much more news space with a big picture than the single column given to the Solicitor General resigning over the over the alleged lying to Parliament of yeah. um, the, the anyway. That's, that's just why goes right. to show, doesn't it? it just goes yes, to show yes. the agenda of the Herald Sun. I just thought that was yeah. that. I thought that was not insignificant. It's not insignificant. Uh, and it's no, good to point this no. out to people. Yes. Yes. There keep, you are. Keep so, reminding people. Yes. Have a sip of tea now. There we are. And now, also, just this week, Medibank Private has has said it's going, it's stubbing out. The, the, that's the word they've used. A big pun there. The last tobacco stocks of its portfolio, uh, and it said it's been thinking about it for some time. Um, they said the process of reading the entire portfolio of securities of companies dealing in tobacco and certain armaments had taken some years to complete. I would have thought you could do it overnight. You'd have thought so, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. Sounds... Anyway, they finally got. But also the fact that up until now, Medibank Private has in fact had shares in tobacco companies says something, doesn't it? <laughs> it certainly does. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a reflection of something, isn't it? Yeah. But he said they've got no plans to widen exclusions to industries such as fossil fuels, alcohol, and gambling because these could be used safely in moderation. So there you are. So they're still going to be in you those. Are. Yeah, so they're being pretty principled about the whole thing. Very so, principled indeed. Yeah, yeah nothing to worry about there. No, not, none whatever. And just on um, on the council elections last week, rather good news, I think, from this program's point of view. Mark Riley, who's a former co-presenter, and he was a, he was the part-time worker for the People's Committee for Melbourne for a while. That's when he worked on this program. Um, we're pretty sure he got elected to Moreland Council as one of the Greens councillors. Oh, fantastic! And he was number two on the ticket, and only three in that ward. So he's, it means he got up. Um, you know, not unexpectedly, but certainly it was a difficult one. No, no, it's not. I don't think it's absolutely confirmed yet, but it's pretty. Confirmed. But it's looking good. Yeah. And Sue Bolton, I think, there also has got a chance. She's um, oh good. She has. I don't think that's confirmed yet either, but she's in with a chance. Good. And of course, Stephen Jolly, the socialist candidate in uh, in Yarra, yes. um, increased his vote, and there's, there was some suggestion he might even get his running part made up with him. So uh, brilliant. So times are changing. Of, yeah, there's a couple of good results yes. there. You know, the Greens and the Socialists seem to be doing well in, at local level, so that's that's good news. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that was good. I mean, I think Mark. Oh yeah, the other Greens, the the woman on, who headed the ticket was the woman who ran for Wills, who who at the last minute backed off the big oh, rally yes, in Coburg. Yes. So I, I put her well down the ticket. Oh, did you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she, you get to a point where the rest look worse, so you have to put her in. But <laughs> yeah, that's true. There does come a point when you yeah. when you start hitting uh, hitting one nation and things like that. It's, but anyway, it's that was uh, that was that. So I'll just give it away how I voted. I definitely voted for Mark Riley. Is that question? Um, yeah, the other one this week that raised I thought worth mentioning was that um, the the private colleges and the government's trying to stop them. I mean, this ridiculous situation. When the first private tertiary institute, which was the Bond University in Queensland, opened up, 
we were given guarantees that no public money would ever go to these. They'd run absolutely on their own privately and it was mm. going to concentrate primarily on business degrees, etc. And it took about three and a half weeks before money kept started pouring into these private institutions. And now, of course, we know in the TAFE sector. Um, but just an example, um, the government, even the government's a bit upset about it. Uh, a diploma of early childhood uh, at TAFE, four thousand three hundred and seventy-eight. Well, I think it should all be free anyway. But let's give that. And fifteen grand at private colleges. The big one, the proponent, proponent of building and construction, which I assume in also instruction not to join the union because that's bad and evil. But anyway, well, certainly at the private one, TAFE's charge. Uh, says he trying to read the page. I think it's four thousand something. And it's 20000 at private colleges, more than five times the amount. And yet they also, they're signing up, they're multi-signing up people. That, you know, we know the whole history. Mm. So it's a fine example of privatisation and how the so-called efficiency of the private Maybe they're so much more efficient, they're five times more efficient, therefore they have to charge five times the fees, or they can because it's five times better because you're being educated by private teachers rather than the public teachers who must... It might not be as good because they're not private. I think you've hit the nail right on the head there, Kevin. Yeah, bang. Well, that's the mm. construction bit. Yeah. Yeah, the nail on the head. Um, <laughs> okay. Now, this week we had... Uh, I'm going to have another sip of tea. Hang on a tea. It's very good tea. Mm. Very nice. I've missed oh, yeah. your tea. Oh, well, there you are. You got it today, and it's Chinese white again today. Oh, we're doing nice. that pretty regularly now, aren't we? Mm. Now, we got Morrison came out on Monday and gave a speech about housing in which he gave. He said the solution was to open up more land. It's what developers all say. We need more land oh, opened up crikey, yes. on the outskirts. And, it's uh, not good. No, we need more. And, there, and then what they ignore is that the big, big development companies who have opened all these estates on the fringes, they, in fact, own so much land out there that isn't even opened up. Absolutely. They, they sit on it until yeah. the time is right to yeah. release it in their terms it's, when it's, it's profitable. Shocking. So that, And, of course, it ignores the fact that as you go further out, the... The green wedges, which have been ignored for years anyway, yeah. or they, you know, they, just, they keep extending them, they, they get destroyed. And, not, and so critical environment, critical flora, critical fauna, is uh, critical ecology is absolutely... Oh, it's catastrophic, the, the whole. It's, it's devastating. And yeah. not only do they hold on to land on the fringe, there's a lot of land being held on to, um, you know, much closer to the metropolitan centre as well. Um, and, um, yeah, this... this process of land speculation um, in combination with developer greed uh, is a, is a, and, and a lack of you know, affordable housing is, is devastating for how Melbourne can move forward in terms of how we deal with the pressures of climate change and creating sustainable outcomes. Yeah. yeah, and he also, of course, totally attacked any plan to get rid of negative gearing, all the, all the dodges that yeah. developers and owners get. Exactly. Um, so apparently the problem doesn't lie with developers and owners who charge massive amounts of money. The problem lies with just supply, not enough land being made available. Of course, um, yes. So that's, uh, that's yeah. well, that's what the, he's, the, he's the treasurer, so he should know. He should know, shouldn't he? I, I hope he realises that there's going to be a huge... The backlash against this kind of thinking is only going to grow. People are waking up to it in Melbourne. People are starting to seriously wake up to it. Yeah. Well, well, well. In fact, though, the he also he said the real problem was was therefore <coughs> there wasn't enough available. It was a supply and demand problem. So we need more housing, so then prices will go down. Now that's what he said on Monday. But there's been headlines through the week. Morgan Stanley tips a hundred thousand a hundred thousand apartment glut. 
Mm. Now, we might argue that the money, they're certainly putting it into apartments and not freestanding houses anymore. That's where it's going. But nonetheless, if you say the problem is there's not enough housing for people, not enough new housing, not enough mm. housing, for, then Australia will find itself with a surplus of 100,000 apartments mm. by 2018, even though a credit crunch for developers will cause a show, etc. But they, they say there's a, there's a glut and there's going to be problems um, because there is a glut. The problem is that you can't sell them for as much as you hope to sell them for. I mean, <laughs> well, that's right. That's, he's yeah. not saying, therefore, it's wonderful we're going to have cheaper housing because we're not. No. Um, I mean, this government don't want house prices to go down. That's no. the last thing they want well, because they, 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 they want that. So they, they use that as an excuse to increase, you know, the demand, but they, they don't want... Well, the people they represent who sell houses, who build them, etc., aren't anxious to have the price go down. No, they're not. And and they've got to look after the negative gearers, and they don't want negative gearers to find out their mortgages are are greater than what their houses were. Suffer negative gearers, poor. Exactly. And so they've got to keep the Ponzi scheme going. Um, So they they use the excuse that that releasing more land will bring house prices down, but it won't. It's just to Mm. encourage the development industry and to encourage... Increase the population. You exactly. Know. In the mm. same week as the tips 100,000 apartment glut, another headline, residential work puts more cranes on Skyline. That there's more cranes because there's more places being built. Mm. What's, where did, what's, that's as all contrary to what Bill, what's your name, Bill Morrison? What's his name? The idiot Scott, Scott, Scott Morrison. Scott said. Morrison, yes. Yeah, I mean, uh, like, Scott, Scott couldn't be wrong, surely. Never. Um, Scott no, never no. Um, and Harry Trigubov, who this year um, knocked off um, in the in the not in the sense you're going to dirty people with dirty minds would think, but knocked off Jeter Reinhardt yes. um, as the number one rich person in, in this country. Yes. It's wonderful, isn't it? Harry? Congratulations, congratulations, Harry. Yes, Harry. yes. He runs a company called Meriton. In fact, the other Sunday night there was a no people saw it. On a Sunday, there was an accident on a building site in Sydney where two workers were left dangling from a crane. I don't know if oh, people yes. saw that. Yeah, I heard about that. And um, they, you know, they could have died, but they managed to get some fireball. Someone got up there and managed to get them down, but it was quite treacherous and dangerous. Well, the, the site on the building was Meriton, so it's one of Harry's, isn't it? Right. Good, good old Harry. Harry would have been desperately upset if workers got injured, of course, or hurt. But <laughs> anyway, Harry says. Um, He's, he's questioning the new Reserve Bank governor who's saying that um, there's an oversupply of apartments. Uh, Harry says um, there's no oversupply because the rents are not going down. There will be oversupply when rents are going down. So, in fact, as long as rents keep going up, Harry's happy, you see. Um, but rents might fall in Sydney and Brisbane when all the new, new apartments are completed in the next two years. Then I will bring in more migrants, Harry said believing that many of the current approvals will not quickly be developed. I am more worried that some developers might lose money, not me, but others. Mm. Um, um, and he said many of the market concerns had actually eased and rents were going up. So isn't that good? I mean, yeah, yeah. Ah, but Scott's same worried. Same old, same old, I'm afraid. Yes. Yeah. Scott yeah. probably consulted Harry before he made his speech. He probably did. He probably did, yeah. yes, yeah. yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, we'll go yes. to right. shortly. But just one other, because there's a dispute taking place down with AGL at the Luoyang Power Station. There's been a long-term, and we might get the union on the show to talk about this, there's been a long-term negotiation and, it's you know, the as usual, it's been dragged out by the boss. But it's gone to the Fair Work Commission and the, the executives of the company... Uh, when they went to court last week, this is you know, this will show just how bad the evil unions are. Mm. Um, when they went to court, they had to have 
paid security guards and police protecting them to quite go to right court too. because They're quite dangerous, you know, they, were, you know. they were afraid the, the unions, workers would attack them. They can be very yeah. dangerous, can workers. Very dangerous yeah. people, they those are. workers. Mm. Well, they are. I, mean, I every... passed one today, I was a bit scared, but I think he didn't see me, so I'm a little Yeah, right. well, I hope so. Well, I think yeah. I got away with that, yeah, yeah, well, Even, But even if you're on a bike, the people behind the wheel of a car could be a worker. Well, that's right, there is yeah. that risk yeah. too. And I know. I mean, the people, we, yeah. the people walking past or walking in the other direction to Andy could be a worker. I know. you just got to hope they're working yeah. so that they're distracted, you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the threat out there is enormous, it's isn't it? It's huge. I don't know how I get through every day, actually. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's just sheer guts and determination. It is. It's guts and determination. <laughs> That's, That's what I like to think, anyway. That's what I tell myself, yeah. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's stop talking this absolute rot <laughs> and get someone in. That's what I'm of, good at. Get someone with a bit of common sense. We will. So shall we, um, shall we play a tune and then we'll get our guest on? Yeah. All right, we'll speak yeah. to you soon. And we are back on air. Now we have uh, Glenn McCallum on the on the line. Glenn, are you there? Yes, yes, I'm here. Fantastic. We've been talking a bit in this program about some of the issues and problems with increasing densities in Melbourne as a whole and how if we just leave it to the free market, we can end up with situations that are less than ideal in terms of social and environmentally sustainable solutions. Um, now, one case study in point, which has been in the news recently, is the proposed development in uh, North Fitzroy. And you are part of a group that's involved in fighting this development. Um, could you tell us a little bit about this, uh, this proposal and why you are against it? Okay, yeah. Well, the proposal is uh, on uh, 2656 uh, Queen's Parade. So that's currently occupied by a sort of a, a uh, Art Deco-fronted um, sort of uh, former factory um, with a, a, a sort of a pink and uh, purple paint job that's not exactly heritage that uh, is hard to miss. Um, so, yeah, so um, the, the proposal is for... 476 apartments in a 16-storey uh, uh, sort of building, uh, and it uh, directly adjoins um, uh, heritage uh, properties on uh, on all sides. So uh, it's partly covered by heritage overlay the site, and of course all the properties around it are just you know, uh, single and double-storey uh, you know, Victorian terraces, which I'm sure everyone's familiar with in Fitzroy North. Um, and uh, yes, so 16 storeys directly uh, adjoining those properties. Mm. And Glenn, is, well, when you say all properties around a property behind it, is there a property you know, facing another street behind it, I presume? Uh, yes, uh, we, yeah, yes um, you know, I, I uh, live directly uh, behind the site. There are people who live directly next door to the site uh, who are also in terraces. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Is, is that McKean Street at that point, or what's it called? Uh, no, there's uh, in behind this Coleman Street, which is a ti- tiny little oh, street yes, that's yes, got yes. Uh, workers' yeah. cottages from the 1880s. Uh, and next door you've got some some of them more because it's on the Queen's Parade side. You've got some uh, somewhat more um, you know uh, grand uh, um, Victorian terraces. Uh, a lot of them uh, double storey. Mm. Mm. 
interesting. Now, I believe a majority of the proposed apartments are one bedroom. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Uh, my, I've got to. Uh, I think that um, yeah, the majority are one bedroom. There's, um, if you actually look at one and two bedroom, uh, it's ninety percent of the development. Mm. So these are and, not not really residences that. Uh, suitable for people with, wanting to raise families and that kind of thing. Um, it's interesting because we're talking about a glut of apartments in, in Melbourne uh, just just earlier, and there is a, a huge oversupply of one-bedroom apartments in Melbourne because, you know, that, that size apartment is really um, only caters to a, a, a small demographic of people. Um, and this is a problem because the reason why we – one of the reasons why we have so many one-bedroom apartments in Melbourne is because – that's the kind of price that property investors want to pay uh, when they're investing in 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 apartments. So this 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 looks to me um, that it's just really um, a negative gears kind of development. It's it's a it's a development aimed at housing investors more than actually getting families and a and a wide demographic of people to move into the area. Uh, the uh, developer himself, uh, the, the Tim Gurner, who, who's uh, developing this property, uh, in an interview to a property magazine, he said uh, 95% of his uh, investors in Melbourne are from China. Yeah, right, yeah. And that's that's the sort of the market that's, that, they're, that they're going towards. So um, ideally, if, if you could have any say in, in how that site is developed, because obviously it's an ex-industrial site, it's a brownfield site, and, and this, this kind of site is the kind of thing that, that planners look towards as, as getting developed in Melbourne, you know, because, you know, these are the sites that, that we, we see as being ideal. Um, what, what kind of development would, would you think would be most suited to this site? Well, look, uh, the, uh, the, uh, plan, the Yarra planning scheme is reasonably clear-cut on that it says that um, developments in uh, activity centres and strategic redevelopment sites, and this is a named uh, identified in the planning scheme strategic development site, uh, should typically go no more than five to six storeys unless you know, there's some compelling reason because of you know, community benefits or environmental benefits. You know, essentially, the onus is on the developer to show why, show just cause why they should go beyond that uh, height envelope. And that's been kind of set because these um, under the urban uh, design framework um, there is a, a kind of a 30 metre number that they identified that kind of keeps keeps it, you know, within sight of the um, you know, historic urban character of North Fitzroy and also, uh, more importantly, possibly, is that uh, where that site is, it prevents it from shading uh, public open space and uh, houses on the other side of uh, Queen's Parade. They've you know, essentially figured out that 30 metres is about as high as anything can go in order to achieve that outcome. Yeah, and um, what about, is your objection primarily to its appearance or to the fact that it is going to be overshadowing or overlooking or some of those usual things that come into these planning applications? Uh, well, really all of the above. Um, they've kind of chosen to put, uh, they've tra- kind of chosen to put uh, these uh, open, um, you know, sort of communal terraces 
um, directly overlooking um, heritage houses and backyards on uh, on the different corners of the development. You know, uh, actually neatly, uh, kind of over the over people's backyards. Um, they could have put them elsewhere, but elected not to. And they don't appear to have a lot of screening on those uh, those uh, areas. And um, I'd kind of also say that. Having uh, worked in Docklands, a lot of these developments end up becoming Airbnb central. So if you've got a communal space, if you've got a uh, alcohol outlet, as they are proposing in the development itself, uh, and um, substantially uh, overseas investment, it's likely to become Airbnb central, and um, it'll it'll be a party precinct on those terraces, which is not ideal if you've uh, ever been. In, as we are um, in a in a in a suburban backyard where you've got um, very high terraces over the top of your yard, the sound carries like you would not believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's interesting. So it's not just a residential development. There's a, there's commercial development as well. Uh, yes, it's a mixed use zone. In fact, uh, personally, uh, I'd be happy to see more uh, more commercial in it. But it's a question of you know what. Um, what sort of uh, form that co- that uh, commercial development takes? So, mm. you know, there's a lot of um, professionals and creatives in uh, Fitzroy and Fitzroy North, and um, you'd think that maybe there's a scope to have some of those businesses operating out of uh, such sites, but they haven't chosen to do that. Most of it, mostly uh, developers opt for the uh, obvious solution, which is to just have a uh, a, ca- a, a cafe, and uh, and in this case, they've just got a, a single cafe. And a um, what they're calling a provador, uh, which is essentially just a you know, like a greengrocer plus mm. a packaged alcohol outlet. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? That they're doing that. One, one of the one of the factors also that um, well, I, I'm just going to comment by the way that it's interesting. A lot of those old factories in that part of the world have been converted into fairly modern office blocks by architects of all sorts and those sort of people, as it turns out, which is a bit ironic. Um, but. Um, but the the question a question I've always had trouble with, and I, I represented that ward on Fitzroy Council many many years ago now, um, was that places with fairly those tall you're talking about terraces with small backyards where you've got uh, an important view, an important skyline, all those things. Um, if if a place moves in next door and meets the guidelines, nonetheless you lose sight, you it overshadows, but it meets the guidelines, etc. I always found that dreadful because I think people have a right to the house they bought and the views and things they got. But that runs contrary to the fact that we're also talking about higher density in these inner urban areas, and uh, I've never quite been able to resolve that one. Is is that a problem as you see it? Um, look, I I, I think. I think no. I think uh, probably it's realistic to not expect that you can retain all of uh, all of the views that uh, all of the views and skyline that you know you've had historically. I mean, uh, when we when we bought the house, we were conscious of the fact that there was a um, what was then an industrial site behind, and you know anyone with uh, you know half a half a lick of foresight can see that they will be redeveloped at some point. But you do hope that the um, the regime under which those are redeveloped uh, at least um, makes uh, some acknowledgement of the fact that you're kind you're kind of there and your you, your house has been there for you know well over a hundred years. Mm. So uh, I think 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 there's a balance in these things. I mean, 
the uh, addition of people to the area, and you, you talk to the residents up and down our street, has been a positive thing. Uh, uh, you know that, that within within um, within reason, um, it actually adds to the buzz and the amenity of the area, and um, a, a sort of a medium density, um, you know, development is um, usually more attractive than some you know manky old warehouse or uh, derelict industrial site. Absolutely. And I suppose this is more of an issue of, of heights rather than density then, I suppose, because you can you can achieve quite high densities um, with four or five stories. You know, I mean, it's it's a myth that all high density has to be high rise. It's kind of lazy, lazy planning and development. So I, so would you agree that this is, is definitely more of a height issue rather than a density issue? Well, it's, it's not just uh, if you look at the peer, uh, the urban design peer uh, review report, which is um, which uh, Yarra, um, you know, got um, for you know, in response to this development. Um, it observes that the uh, actual design has has some significant problems as well, because what they've elected to do is uh, essentially design a uh, gated community. So if you actually look at where the uh, open space is in this development, it's on the inside. So they've essentially um, created this kind of quadrangle type effect, and the opening is uh, facing towards the south. So that will make uh, the interior uh, interior open space, which the public largely won't have access to anyway, because we've, we're told by the um, developers that there will be a, a gate uh, sort of fairly uh, early in in proceedings to keep uh, the uh, rest of the uh, riffraff of the uh, community out. <laughs> and um, and um, you know that it will be fairly dark, I would say. And that, since that's the only light that mm. uh, a lot of the interior apartments will get, and some of those are using the saddleback design, um, it's going to be pretty ugly for the outcome. So yeah. by putting the bulk to the outside, you actually increase the impact on the surrounding area. Yeah. Sure. You raise an interesting point there because there's been objections recently to the fact that, or at least, yes, objections, I guess, that many of these one-bedroom apartments have very little light at all. They're designed, you know, and there's bugger all light, really. Um, is that the case in this case when there's so many of them? 80%, I think you said, wasn't it, are going to be one-bedroom? Uh, yeah, I'd have to recheck the exact number. There's a very high proportion that are one. That are very high proportion which are one-bedroom or, or small two-bedroom. Um, mm. The... Um, yeah, there's uh, the the light the light uh, options aren't, aren't great because of the how, how crammed they they all are, and also just because of the design of the building. Um, I know that um, I'm not necessarily advocating a podium design in that spot, you know, but um, but the thing the fact is that. Um, podium designs kind of do allow for more more light, and there's a bunch of other sort of designs which allow for for more light options. That um, that particular site uh, already had approved plans 13 years ago, uh, which um, essentially had uh, was careful to uh, have corridors that allowed the light through, and it was um, they originally proposed eight stories and they were trimmed back uh, when they hit uh, council and then VCAT to um, two to five. And, um, you know, they had, they had plans. They could have built the same owners, still own the same site. They, they uh, would have been, it would have been profitable, but mm. clearly 13 years later they're seeking more profit. They let the permit lapse. Yeah, mm. and here we are again. Here we are again. What about parking and um, car parking and and parking on the street, etc.? What's the story there? 
Uh, well, obviously, uh, like all such developments, they want uh, a concession on uh, on uh, the amount of car parking. I think they want nearly uh, a concession of nearly uh, 200 spaces. Um, so, uh, the argument being that you know it's um, you know various things, the availability of on-street parking, which uh, anyone who walks the streets around there would figure out or tries to find a park there, <laughs> uh, would be aware a lot of it is uh, restricted. So it's not really a substitute for, for resident parking, maybe visitor parking at a pinch. Uh, but, of course, um, that's kind of a lot of the parking that people use to go to the pool or go to the park. Of course. And uh, you're kind of, um, you know, robbing Peter to uh, to pay Paul because this is by no means the only site up for development. You've got the... Um, uh, the old Clipsal site just uh, across the road. You've got the uh, gas and fuel site, which is uh, obviously there's a lot of focus on uh, just next to that. So, yeah, there's, there's going to be a lot of uh, uh, extra uh, draw on the, uh, the, the on-street parking in that area. Yeah, it's an it's interesting mm. bit of history that I was, on, I was on the council at the period when uh, we were fighting the freeway. And um, we were promised the gas and fuel site as compensation for losing um, public public open space on Alexandra Parade at that time. And uh, unfortunately, the promise never seems to have uh, to have reached fruition. But that was actually promised as public open space all those years ago. It just goes to show, doesn't it? Yeah. So, um, so um, whereabouts are you with your campaign, and where are you at in terms of uh, okay, going? okay, so the developer has, um, well, the developer originally said they wanted to negotiate with the community, and um, of course, uh, we've just had the uh, council elections. So during the um, during the caretaker period, you know, a month before the election, um, nothing the council can do nothing. Yeah, sure. really, sure. the council law's hands are, are, are basically tied. And um, so the um, time that the uh, ad- the advertising period uh, cha- uh, uh, completed uh, just before well just before the uh, council elections and uh, well in, just before into the caretaker period and um, it turned out that only a couple of days after that the uh, the statutory um, sixty days uh, whatever it um, for made um, for time limit for decisions had uh, also expired, so the developer almost straight away went to VCAT without you know, doing any negotiation with the community at all. Crikey. So it was right in the middle of the, um, the uh, council... Um, mm. the, the council, you know... Um, mm. Election. ..being unable to yeah. make a decision yeah. on it. So, um, so, so, yeah, so now we find ourselves uh, having to respond uh, very quickly to, yeah. uh, to VCAT... And yeah, so, so on it goes. And on it goes. Um, Steve Joll is on side, isn't he? With on the, on this one. Yeah, yeah. He uh, he came to talk to us. Um, yeah, he's he, he has a very important role because one of the, in in that sense, in that uh, when these things happen, I mean, uh, I'm not a legal person. Uh, you know, I've, I hadn't actually clapped eyes on the Yarra planning scheme before this. And it's got 1,034 pages in it, it turns out. Uh, and he comes around and explains to you what, well, what the process is, you know, what, what, what's going to happen from here. And because you know, I think everyone's kind of you know, in shock and panic you know, yeah. when something like that happens. So. But the councillors have all been excellent, you know, very, very good. Ah, good. Excellent, excellent. Is, is the, are the neighbours united in this or are there people who think it's not a bad idea or are you pretty much 100% behind your campaign? Uh, 
if there are if there are people uh, who who uh, think think it's uh, in, in our immediate environment that think it's a good idea, uh, I, I haven't managed, I haven't met any of them. Yet. <laughs> um, the, uh, Laying low. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, I doubt it to be honest. I mean, yeah, the thing yeah. is that uh, there's there's overreach and then there's this. I mean, there is. Yeah, yeah. So so um, the, even people who are already themselves in high density, um, you know, medium to high density developments around are actually part of our group because, yeah, um, yeah I, as I said before, um, you know, these uh, medium, you know, to the lower end of high developments are actually, you know, broadly a positive thing. Uh, right. But um, uh, something like this has a, an immense amenity impact on the area. And I've come to actually understand through this process that um, development's kind of a fascinating word. It has a positive sort of ring to it, but it depends on how you use it. Mm. Uh, development uh, development can be uh, can be a positive and constructive thing, but if it's abused, it can actually be an extractive industry because yes. what you're doing is simply plonking down and you're trying to mine the amenity of an area until there's nothing left. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and we know now, we, we're seeing it all the time now, that when a developer takes over a property anywhere, um, it, it, he or she argues that unless we go as high as possible and put as many apartments on that block as possible, then we can't make a profit out of it. And, and often their interest in profit is, is given precedence over all other considerations. Absolutely, yeah. Well, the thing is that um, those those very high densities, as um, you know, Professor Buxton has kind of shown, um, actually increase the price of land. Essentially, you're just creating an artificial bubble and bidding war that uh, actually drives prices up. Uh, and it's not just right. for the developments themselves; it's also for everyone who's in surrounding properties. So mm. uh, we couldn't really we couldn't really escape it if we wanted to because uh, essentially it's driven up the price of all the land to the point where you simply you know, nail to the spot that you're in that's right and mm. and you know as i said at the beginning i mean this is this is a microcosm of a, of a much bigger problem that the whole of melbourne is is facing that you know increasing densities urban consolidation has been largely appropriated by by neoliberalism and it's not actually helping to prevent urban sprawl and it's not actually helping to create livable walkable neighborhoods but or, these af- are the, or affordable housing or really affordable sure. housing exactly mm. and and if you don't create affordable housing then it pushes more people out towards the fringe anyway so you know obviously um some people would would accuse you of being nimbys. Obviously, people who 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 don't live in the area, but people from outside might say, "Oh, you know, you should take your share of of high density." But this is actually um, this is actually goes beyond nimbyism, doesn't it? This is this is a case study of a of a bigger problem. Where do you think um, you draw the line between nimbyism and the the mantra of you know think global, act local? You know, I mean, surely if we all look after our local areas we can do a lot more i just wonder sometimes whether or not the nimbyism tag is is used because it's very very useful for certain developers to actually you know use that kind of tag as a way of getting around certain criteria uh, well, if you look at our site on Facebook, we certainly have topped a bit of stick on that. Yes, front. So, I have looked. Uh, yes. Yeah. So, um, the, yeah, it's an interesting one. The um, in reality, um, people are, as I said before, the community is you know broadly supportive of you know increases in, in density. Uh, it is still better than um, uh, vacant industrial sites and manky old warehouses. So, the thing is that um, we. 
people are attracted to this area because of the amenity. And so we, there has to be a balance between maintaining the amenity that they, uh, they are in pursuit of and um, increases in population. So um, the, the truth is that the denser part of uh, North Fitzroy is actually not geographically all that large. So mm-hmm. um, the... Um, I, I uh, used to travel on the uh, 96 on the on the on the Brunswick Street trams and you know Smith Street and so forth. If you you would have three four trams go by and simply not be able to get on. Mm. So you, the, the trams are full Absolutely. At, the, at the peak time. Yes. The schools are full. Yeah. Uh, so there has to be an increase in. Uh, infrastructure in order to accommodate uh, population, even mm. though it's a strain. I think we can accommodate maybe hundreds of people, which is kind of what you would actually get with a run rate, medium density sort of mm. infill development. Mm. But these very, very high density um, developments, where you're talking increases of thousands in a small mm. geographic area, unless there's some something uh, magical that the government is going to do with the infrastructure, I cannot see how the uh, community can um, can accommodate all well, of it, that. It can't. Unfortunately, our, our population growth is exponential. It's, it's sort of we're, we're increasing, in Melbourne's population is increasing by 100,000 a year, and there's no end in sight, and there's no real contingency plan to be able to properly deal with that population growth in a sustainable way. It's oh, very, very difficult to do. Developers are drooling. It's oh, the developers yeah. are drooling, yeah. yeah. So we, we need to have a broader conversation as well about population, but not today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, there is, yeah. a, uh, there is a, the point that was published in the newspapers yesterday that um, the New South Wales Department of Planning has observed that in the middle suburbs there's a 20-year supply of housing in the form of empty bedrooms. Mm. Well, that's right. That's, that, that's also yeah, we made the point earlier that Morrison was talking on Monday about the fact that we need more and uh, it's a supply and uh, problem but in fact we've uh, yeah there's a headlines all over the place about apartment gluts and uh, more cranes in the sky than ever so uh, we're not sure what his argument's about yeah, yeah there's um yeah there's uh, also um again as uh, not wanting to seem like a buxton groupie or anything but he, he points out that um in the outer suburbs there's a certain amount of land banking which goes on because um if they actually released all the plots that they have been given by the government, um, then um, the price would plummet. Yeah. Uh, so they essentially yeah, uh, right. may have 25,000 plots, mm. and they only actually release 400. That's right. We made, that, we made that point earlier mm. as well on the program here, yeah, that it's the developers sit on them point. anyway and then scream out for more to be made available. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. It's a huge issue. Yeah. 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 All right, Glenn. Well, look, thanks for that, and uh, good luck with it. I, I, I say good luck with VCOS because you need a hell of a lot of good luck at VCOS. But, uh, good yeah, luck. good luck. Good luck with the VCAT. Yeah, and try oh, v- and um, v- try and engage. Oh, VCAT, VCAT, that's all right. VCAT, yeah, we sorry. know what you mean. Okay, um, right but yeah, yeah. also, um, I, I do recommend you get Michael Buxton involved if you can, because he's a good person to have on side, and he'll be very sympathetic. So yeah, good stuff. Yeah, yeah I, I believe he is a local, as I understand it. Oh, that so, that yeah. will help a great deal too. <laughs> good luck with yeah, it. You no take worries. care. All Thanks. right, Glenn. Thanks all a lot. Bye bye. Bye. Well, that was uh, that was Glenn McCallum from the Protect Fitzroy North Skyline Group. Yeah, it's a it's an ongoing problem, isn't it? That one I raised. I think I I really do sympathise with people who lose their sun, a bit of sun or a bit of a view of something, and um, yet you've got to argue that 
we need higher density in these areas if you're going to have it rather than going into urban sprawl. And as you say, of course, anyway, uh, we need also to look at the whole population question as such. We, we, we do. And it's pointless having higher density if you're just creating one one bedroom units, for um, which we already have an oversupply for. Mm. So, you know, I, I really can't see how this proposed development is going to do anything to slow urban sprawl. Um, if there was some affordable mm. housing involved and some two or three bedroomed units for families and Maybe, but then you don't have to go high rise either. You, you can can't achieve... get as much in though that way. Oh, you, there's a it's, look, it's quite it's interesting to how neg- much you can achieve to gear negatively. Oh, to gear negatively, <laughs> but it's, it's amazing how how much density you can achieve with 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 fewer than sixteen stories. Mm. Um, and again, bringing Michael Buxton back up again, he talks a lot about this. How you go to cities like Paris, European cities where they've achieved um, quite high densities without going particularly high. Yeah, probably wasn't mentioned, but Michael Buxton is a well-known planner around town, he an is. academic planner. He is a well-known um, planner, yes. And uh, Andy, look, in the few minutes we've got left, uh, you're going you're to come into the show okay. now. Uh, <laughs> rally last Thursday, the public housing rally, you were there. In yeah. fact, you were standing on Parliament House steps holding a banner, being blown away. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, it was good fun. Um, just your comment on it. Oh, it was good. Yeah, I got to, I met a few people who call in talk. Talk back <laughs> yeah. yeah that was really interesting yeah. i thought yeah, yeah. i realized it was the first day of the season i should have packed sunscreen probably yeah no, <laughs> I, I, I didn't take i didn't take a hat because i thought it would get blown away um because yeah. it was a very windy day but i mean if you really needed one it was um yeah that was a problem so and i i must admit i as i stood there i had a knee packing up as well which made a bit of a uh, problem i ended up limping away yeah, just right. standing in the one spot somehow once i got walking i, I warmed up again but uh, no yeah, it was but, really uh, interesting lots of interesting people speaking yeah yeah i think yeah i mean once they had open mic they had, they had people like me speaking which was silly because i you know i'd oh, say yeah, the same thing and uh you know and Ken Mooney spoke and others, but but then once they open up the mic and got public housing tenants to talk, I think that's always yeah. important. I was going back, I'm harping on my Fitzroy Council days today, but when we used to have meetings of uh, about issues, say, of people in the high-rise flats, etc., and we could get up and talk all day, but once we opened it up and they spoke about how they felt about issues, that was mm. far better than any of us speaking because mm. they, yeah. you know, they 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 emoted the whole thing they felt it and it was yeah. just so good and i think that was that was good part of last week yeah, yeah that was no it's brilliant it'll be there next yeah, mm. november it's the next yeah it's going to happen once a month i i hope it doesn't mean that it'll just sort of people get gets fuller crowds because it was the converted there are about 50 people all involved with public housing in some form so you need to broaden it out I, i'd like to see it lead up to a you know, getting all those groups together to have one great big rally and get public housing tenants out yeah. and all sorts of people good so then planners like Rux Buxton and company because mm. it's all involved it would be good um, to have more planners yeah. and, and you know because we're talking this morning about private development but really the and Morrison the other day but not one word in his speech about the government the government providing money for developers providing money for negative gearing not one word for public housing. No, for providing not housing. one word for public housing. And that's that's where the public funds in housing ought to be going. Exactly. Mm. Exactly, yep. Yeah, very yeah. true. Well, I'll, I'll be at the next one, and hopefully it, we will build the numbers up and we spread the word through social media and through our various networks. And, yeah, uh, yeah. so fingers, fingers crossed that the momentum continues to build, yeah. 
Yep. So that's that. And um, we were, well, I was, there's a fair few things, other things to talk about, but we're running out of time. It's 9.55. But I, perhaps on developers, one other point, and they even they see the light, an interesting article coming out of Sydney. Um, there's a, a developer pr- proposing a development um, developer called Bill Berger, um, and they want to, they, they're building a development at Parramatta, but they want to, in fact, fund a private railway line um, added, which would link into Metro West, proposing to um, build a 15-minute fast rail between Sydney and Parramatta because they say uh, it's not just a metro, it's a rail and housing and jobs program. There will be jobs, housing and mixed use and all of the support amenities for a self-contained community strung together by a metro to enable the uplift. And they make the point... We cannot just build houses 30 kilometres west of Sydney CBD when the bulk of our jobs are further west, so we need more public transport. So here's a private developer mm. saying mm. we really need to have the infrastructure so people can get to yeah. work, etc. And yeah, prepared. Right. Now, how that would that would fit into the, the public transport system, I've got no idea, but it's just interesting that a developer is talking about... Probably because sort of if thing. they build a railway line, they'll be able to build higher density development, they'll be able to justify higher densities, so that it might be, it might be profitable for them to do... Not that I'm saying they, they're doing the wrong thing, I mean, it, it's good... It's good that we, you know... If we, they're if a developer, it, you can say they're doing the wrong thing. Well, like, yeah, 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 I can, but yeah, I don't... Yeah. I mean, yeah, but I'm just yeah. saying that the, the, the chances please are... Please don't that... be nice to developers on this train. <laughs> <laughs> I want to look as though I'm not completely anti-developer all of the time, but I am pretty much, but yeah, I mean, but yeah, no. But in this particular case, it, it may it may, it may, may be a good thing, but who knows, yeah. I'd love to see the finer de- details and all of that. But, yeah. I just find it fascinating, yeah, but they, they recognise that there's a problem. There. Yeah, they I know, even the developers recognise But as you say, it probably but that infrastructure there, they can sell it for more. Yeah, I think. I think. Yeah, once you start putting public transport infrastructure in, you can you can make a case for higher densities, and um, and it will, I imagine, would would pay for. I can't imagine they're being completely, you know, charitable by building this railway line. I imagine that there's some some payoff for doing it, mm. um, payoff in terms of profit that they can make from the development that comes with it. Yeah. But and I might be wrong. There just be. before we finish, we've only got a minute to go yep. again and add in our local rag this week. Um, again, that phrase I think I've used on this program before, their, their slogan, Escape to Pentridge, the, the development. Oh, yes. uh, and they tell us it's an icon, a development like no other, a true Melbourne icon reimagined for the 21st century, a mix of sustainable heritage and contemporary architecture, etc. How much public housing is in there? It was public property, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Another uh, wasted, lost opportunity. Take a step, Andy. I don't know if you know or not. Uh, I don't know. I've driven past it. I've yeah. seen it. But I imagine there's have, probably no public housing. Have a stab at naught and you'll be yeah, right. Yeah, I reckon. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Another one gone. Uh, another, okay. another opportunity We've got to lost. go. Next week's public transport, John McPherson. Excellent. We'll look forward to that. Yeah.